Shalom. Today is Holocaust Remembrance Day throughout the world. We gather to remember the memory of six million Jews among 11 million people who were murdered by the Nazis. When the rest of the world knew, but was comfortably numb, including the United States. After the Holocaust, the world vowed never again. And yet, genocide and ethnic cleansing still happening around the world. Bosnia, Darfur, Myanmar are just recent examples. Maybe with more remembering, we will wake up. Hebrew prayer is El Malerachamim, compassionate God. Exalted, compassionate God, grant perfect peace in your sheltering presence among the holy and the pure to the souls of our brethren, men, women, and children were murdered by the Nazis. May their memory endure, inspiring us with truth and loyalty in our lives. May their souls thus be bound in the bond of life. May the rest in peace. Amen. We are very honored to have two Holocaust survivors with us. And how amazing it is. We have Clara Knopfler, that many of you already know her. And she celebrated 91 already. And Dan is 91, coming to 92. And our guest speaker, Michael Mark, listen to this. Yesterday, he and his wife, Sally, celebrated 64 anniversary. Just for that. And last week, he turned 93. So we are really up to it. Like, this is really unique and special. So you are my guest. Uh, he will tell us his memories, his testimony. We call it in Hebrew, edut, testimony and we collect testimonies of Holocaust survivors. Our students are also involved, and our graduate students also involved in this project of collecting memory. Uh, his testimony is recorded. It's gonna, it's, it's gonna be not only uh, on our website, but also in archives. So we are all about collecting as much as we can.
first I want to thank you for inviting me. Thank God. And my main interest when I speak to follower, like not to forget the tra greatest tragedy ever happened. I mean, what, what those innocent six million Jewish people were murdered, what in a half million children, what was the crime? I mean, the main thing, never forget. Hope, hope never ever happened such a terrible tragedy. That's, the, that's my main interest. And that's the reason I'm willing, you know, like even, even a week ago or so, like they asked me a Navy base, naval base. They were so interested. And anyhow, the bottom line, that's my main interest. Anyhow, I have about 10 minutes or so, so I have to hurry up. I was born, I was born in Czechoslovakia. <laughs> my hometown was near the Hungarian border. So naturally we spoke Slovak, Czech, and so on. And everything was wonderful life. We have a happy life. I have an older brother, a younger brother, and I have a wonderful parents and a very large extended family on my mother's side, like seven, my mother has seven sisters, four brothers, living next door to each other. And all those little cousins playing every day, I mean, couldn't ask for more. So everything was growing up wonderful. Then came a time, many years later, you know, suddenly we heard all kind of rumors that um, Hitler came to power and the Nazis and start to occupy uh, certain countries, and including part of Czech Republic they occupied. And when the Hungarian, Soviet, Hungarian government saw it, how easy it was, they became allies with them, and they occupied my hometown. So suddenly we became Hungarian. They are in all that. And sure enough, they start to copy the German Nazis, take away Jewish businesses, and all those large families with children, suddenly they had not enough money to buy even to eat, for food to eat. So the time was very bad. And, and then, like I said, country after country, we heard rumors occupying and all kind of terrible rumors what going on especially the Jewish people. Then came a time, uh, maybe it was a good thing that the Germans attacked Russia. And luckily they were not prepared for the cold winter. Came a time that they were chasing them out from Russia. And this is the time when the German Nazis, the army, losing the war and came and occupied Hungary. Now let's kill the Hungarian Jewish people. They had about something like 800,000. And in no time, when they occupied us, a couple of weeks later, suddenly one day we were told to get, uh, to get uh, ready, uh, take only what we could carry, some clothing and some bread, report in the synagogue. On their, you know, if not, you will be punished. Sure enough, we got ready next morning, and walking there, they, they took your name and everything, and they finished, they, 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 they marched us to the railroad station. There, we loaded regular railroad cars, and they took us to the nearby city, to the bigger city. They had about 20,000 uh, Jewish people there. We wind up in an open field, in a dirt, 
sitting there and sleeping there on the dirt. And every day it was getting worse and worse. And all kind of rumors was going around naturally. What happened? What they, where are they going to take us? Where, what's going to be? And we heard rumors they might take us to Poland and they kill us. And it was just no word for it. Then came a time about a month later, they, they made us get up, march to the railroad station, and there, far as we could see, cattle cars was waiting with open doors, and they kept loading us, loading us, top of each other, and, and, and it was just, again, we just, mind-boggling, you know, what, what was happening. Then, all day long loading, loading from every village, every, you know, that big city. And finally, late afternoon, heading somewhere. And we didn't know where we're gonna go. And there is no food, no water, and, and children crying for something to eat, something to drink. And everywhere we stopped, we kept, there was a small opening for the, car, for the cows and horses to breed kept pushing up somebody to see where are we, where are we? And we saw some, still we saw some Hungarian town. And then finally about the second or third day, saw Polish. So we know we are in Poland. Again, finally about three days in that miserable cattle cars, arrived somewhere and they opened the doors and they yelling, yelling in German, a rose, a rose, you know, Gerard, Gerard, schnell, schnell, hurry, 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 and beating us, and leave everything, leave everything. Finally, lined up like a selection, and saw, we saw this German officer with a big stick standing there. Uh, now we know who was it, Mengele. That time we didn't know anybody. And they show left and right with a stick, left and right, left and right, hurry, hurry, and beating you. Finally, we realized suddenly that a very young and an old one side and the teenage, I mean, like uh, young ones, 20, 30, 40, another side, I wind up there with my older brother and my father. And then we were marched to the barracks. There they had other, other prisoners before us. And the first thing we asked us, we wanted to know where are we, where are we? Oh, we are in Auschwitz. And we didn't know where, what. And then we asked them, what is that smoke coming out all day long, coming out from this building there, the big building, and, and smelling some flesh burning? They are the one who told us that all those people who are not selected like you to be a slave, they were marched to the, marched and they were, you know, killed. And then now they're burning their bodies. And it was just no, my, um, didn't know what to say. Anyhow, we stayed there a couple of days, then we were taken to a place and work, hard labor. There we were taking out stones from the mantle. We were, we were getting a slice of bread in the morning and black coffee and a so-called soup, empty soup for the uh, lunch and same thing for dinner. And working all from early in the morning to late at Late afternoon, they cut stones, and they, we find out later on they were planning to put there some munition factories, the Germans. Anyhow, from there, from there we were, there we were taken, taken to another camp, 
you know, like Buchum world, Flossenberg, and, and one was worse than the next one. We wind up with five camps, and then came the time, came a time, the death march. And that was the worst thing but you could imagine. A slice of bread for the first time. Then came a time nothing. People were collapsing and dying, including my young father. If I would bend down, try to help, which I couldn't, I would be shot right away in my head. I have to keep going, otherwise, and the only hope we had, if we are, if we are liberated, because we saw the German civilians, young people, women, they're running away. That's the only, only thing that we kept going, that maybe, maybe might be liberated. And there came a time, they used to lock us up in, in barns with, with horses and cows in the evening. And I remember we tried to chew on anything but the horse and cows, just to anything, we were starving. Then came a time, again, one day, again they locked us up. And we were exhausted and, and just, just fall asleep like. And finally, early in the morning, the farmer walks in and says to us, the German soldiers run away. We didn't know what, he says, maybe you are liberated. And then we walked out and begging him, begging him for a slice of bread, what he gave us, you know, that we survived. Then we walked to the nearby road Suddenly we saw some tanks and trucks coming with soldiers and, and we saw, uh, realized they are American soldiers. They had no strength to celebrate. And they saw us, they knew who we are. They knew we are prisoners, how we look like and what kind of clothes we were wearing like pajamas and, and striped pajamas. And they kept throwing some bread and some of them stopped like the know, and try to help us. And finally they took us to a school. And there they brought in German woman to feed us, to clean us. And finally it, it was just, uh, like I said, no strength to celebrate that we are freed. Then came a time that they ask us questions, the soldiers, and then we to, we, when we told them, some of us from Czechoslovakia, we said, you are near the, near the border, when you get your strength back, we take you back there. And sure enough, sure enough, uh, about a week or so, when we got our strength back, we were very anxious to go back, they took us back with trucks. There they came, doctors and nurses, and they tried to give us all the help they can and feed us, and, when, and finally, when we were strong enough to, fi finally strong enough to get our strong back, heading home with the train, normally it took us a day, but it took us at least a month because all the bridges were bombed out, you know. Finally, we got home, <coughs> and the first question, we knew everybody on the railroad station, is anybody survived with my family? The, the answer was nobody. So we walked home with my brother, house was emptied. We had a, a very nice Christian neighbor who saw us and right away told us, you have a letter from your mother. I got a letter from your mother from Sweden. 
didn't know what, he ran inside, gave us the letter, and it was, un, he didn't know, kept reading the letter, he says, dear neighbor, if anybody survived my family, give them, give, tell them I'm here in Sweden, I've survived, and the British brought me him, and I'm in the hospital, I was very sick, but now I feel better, and tell anybody who survived in my family, tell them I'm here. I wrote to my father, right away, borrowed papers and pencils, wrote to her, I didn't get an answer. I wrote a month later, I didn't get an answer. And one day, my mother's brother showed up as a soldier, as a soldier, and luckily, he ran, in, ran away on time, somewhere in, wind up in Russia, then joined the Czech army with the British, and fighting all over during the war, and came back alive. And he went to the Swedish consul with a letter and, and find out all what he wanted, that my mother, sister, was liberated by the British, brought in Sweden, and with all the help in the hospital, about five months later she passed away because she was too sick to survive. So we were devastated, and I knew I can't stay there. I knew I can't stay there. One day, luckily, I got a letter from my uh, uncle, my father, brother, who immigrated before the Holocaust, settled in Chicago, and asking about the brother, and I had to write him back the sad news, what happened with your brother, and ask him to help me to come immigrate, which one he did, and I had to wait three, three years to get able to immigrate. Finally, I got the notice, I was immigrated. I took the train to Vienna and then to Italy, took the, took the ship there a couple of days later with my uncle who helped me to buy the ticket and heading to New York. About 10 days later, I arrived in New York. Some cousins picked me up who, who immigrated before us in wind up first in Cuba and then in New York, helped me, took me, took me home, stayed there about a week, then with their help, took me to the train station and heading to Los Angeles because by that time my uncle and aunt uh, settled in Los Angeles. So I wind up heading to Los Angeles. I was very, I got a, finally my aunt and uncle, they told me I could stay with them. I had a room and best food that I could dream of. I had a job right away, a dollar an hour. I was thrilled. I was thrilled. And everything was looked wonderful. But on my luck was the Korean War. And I was young enough to be registered for the draft. And sure enough, a couple months later, I was called in to, uh, to have my physical. And then I had my basic training in up north in Monterey, and when I finished that, they sent me to San Antonio, Texas, trained as a medic. There they told us, we're gonna go to Korea because we knew, they told us actually, we knew we gonna, because they need some help for the wounded soldiers. So we knew we we're gonna go there. On my luck, maybe two weeks before I finished, I don't remember, one day a captain heard me talking, another soldier, and he asked me what kind of accent, you have what kind of language you speak. So I told him I spoke five languages. At that time I spoke Czech, Slovak, Hungarian, German, English already. I, he, I find out a couple of weeks later, he pulled me out from Korea because he needed interpreters in Europe. So 
got my 10 days furlough, then I had to report in Fort Hood, Texas. When I arrived there, I saw thousands of soldiers packing their duffel bags, and I was very anxious to find out what's happened, where are we going, where are we going? Said, tomorrow morning they take us to Germany. So sure enough, next morning they took us to the ships, Navy ships, boarded the ship, but 10 days later we arrived in Bremenhaven, and then in, in Mannheim, where I stationed, and, and the bottom line, what I just want to say, I was there a couple of years before I was there as a slave. Now I came back as an American soldier with an occupation army, so I felt pretty good about it. And then I was very anxious to waiting for my first furlough. And I got, when I got my furlough, I contacted, before I got my furlough, I contacted the Red Cross. I wanted to see my mother's grave first time in Sweden. They gave me all the information, what city, what cemetery, whom to see. When I came the time, I took the train to Denmark and then Sweden, and from Stockholm, about two, two hours train ride, and then to see this, wearing my uniform, and that time everybody liked the American, American people. They took me to the, the car dealership, the American car dealership. The bottom line, they brought, took me with the car to the cemetery. I put some flowers on my mother's graveside first time. And then, then came back, I finished my, my two years, I was discharged, I came home, went to work with my brother, and I met my future wife some, what is that, 50, 60, four years ago, I got married in New York, settled down, and then about then a year, two years later, we had a daughter, and a son, and, 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 and a son, we have a son-in-law and daughter-in-law and four wonderful grandkids. Two of them are here now. Matter of fact, one of them, a grandson who was graduated from here. So, it's a, so it means a lot to me to graduate from honor this year. So I'm proud of that. And what I, what, to see, to finish my thing, so I couldn't be more happier, and I, I have to say this wonderful country was good to me. I have to say also, God bless America. Please join me in prayer. May it be your will, O God, that war and bloodshed cease, and that a great peace come to the world. May nation not lift up sword against nation. May they learn war no more. May all the inhabitants of the world recognize that what we're not created for conflict, rivalry, 
hatred or killing, but rather we were created in order to serve you. Have compassion for us and fulfill for us the promises of the scripture. Bring peace and justice to the land. Amen. Please stand as we sing. Take God's love to heart. Take it with you and spread it all around. Embody it always. Love one another. Go in God's peace. Amen.